Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about whether bee venom therapy is safe, how people clean their teeth throughout history, and how you can use the fog method to change your bad habits. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Sometimes alternative remedies are harmless, but other times, not so much. And since it's a thing, we thought we'd help you stay safe by talking about bee venom therapy. Yes, it exists. In fact, people have been stinging themselves with bees to treat arthritis and joint pain as far back as ancient Egypt, China, and Greece. Even Hippocrates was a fan. Nowadays, anecdotal accounts show people using bee venom therapy to treat Lyme disease. Users either self-inject the bee venom by needle or, yes, actually sting themselves with live bees. But is it safe? Well, it certainly doesn't sound pleasant. Here's the science. Bee venom contains lots of different chemical compounds, but the most important one might be melatonin. Honeybee venom is more than 50% melatonin, which is the reason why bee stings are so painful. That compound activates a channel in the body's sensory neurons called TRPV1, which is usually there to sound the alarm when the body is exposed to high temperatures. That's right, melatonin tricks your body into thinking it's on fire. Jellyfish venom contains a similar chemical, which is why their stings and bee stings both burn. But that's not all. A low dose of melatonin will also activate enzymes that trigger inflammation. That's the red swollen aftermath of a bee sting. And a high enough dose will make your cells explode. The chemical pokes holes in the cell membrane and makes the cell swell until it pops. Cell death might sound like a bad thing, but it's actually really good for killing bacteria and parasites. That seems to be why bee venom has shown promise in studies testing its effectiveness against the parasites that cause malaria and Chagas disease. And a 2017 study showed that in a lab setting, both whole bee venom and melatonin obliterates the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, while antibiotics only render the bacteria dormant. So that sounds like a winning cure, right? Well, not so fast. Those results can't be generalized outside of a petri dish. And that's kind of an important detail. I mean, bleach can kill bacteria in a petri dish, but you do not want to put bleach in your body. And at the end of the day, bee venom is still venom, not a safe working medicine. A 2015 systematic review of bee venom therapy research found common side effects that were pretty rough, like vomiting, heart palpitations, and paralysis. Actor Gerard Butler went into anaphylactic shock in 2017 after experimenting with the stuff. And in 2018, a Spanish woman was the first reported death from bee venom therapy. Maybe in the future, researchers will be able to come up with new treatments after studying the stuff. But for now, when it comes to alternative remedies, you should be cautious. Well, at least we know what all the buzz is about. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that one really stung. <laughs> Our ancestors may have messed around with venom treatments, but that's not all they experimented with. Have you ever wondered how people cleaned their teeth in the olden days? Well, let's just say dental hygiene has come a long way since the days of wine-soaked toothpicks and urine mouthwash, which were once thought to disinfect mouths and whiten teeth. As reported by The Conversation, people realized that cleaning teeth and removing decay helped us stay healthy as far back as ancient China and ancient Egypt. Some of the earliest tooth-cleaning artifacts archaeologists have found date back more than 2,500 years. And the bee venom-loving Greek doctor Hippocrates was one of the first to recommend cleaning teeth with toothpaste powder. Lots of cultures around the world cleaned their teeth with chew sticks made from bark, bone, or feathers. 
and Englishman William Addis had a similar idea in the late 1700s. That's when he made a toothbrush from bone and animal bristles when he was in prison. And he became the first to sell toothbrushes on a large scale. Early toothpaste was made of something abrasive, like talc or crushed seashells, mixed with essential oils. And many contained chemicals like ammonia, chlorophyll, and penicillin to fight the acid-producing bacteria that can cause tooth decay and bad breath. By the 1900s, children of immigrants to the U.S. were taught oral hygiene as a way to help Americanize them and their families. Factories examined and cleaned their workers' teeth to keep them from missing work due to toothaches. Daily toothbrushing became more common thanks to World War II, when the American army required soldiers to brush their teeth as part of their daily hygiene practices. The first nylon toothbrush was made in 1938, followed by the electric toothbrush in the 1960s. Nowadays, there are dozens of different types of tools and potions to help keep your mouth healthy. And we know it's important to clean your mouth daily, no matter which method you choose. Well, maybe stay away from the urine mouthwash. Habits can be hard to change, but according to Dr. B.J. Fogg, director of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University, you might be able to change your behavior in three small steps using his self-named Fogg method. It's all about starting small. Here are the three steps. Step one is to get specific. Target a specific goal that you want to accomplish and translate your goal into behaviors you can achieve. Instead of setting a goal to work out for 30 minutes every day, try taking a three-minute walk or even just putting on your running shoes every day. Setting easy habits can result in success that will motivate you to succeed at harder tasks. Step two is to make it easy. The easier the behavior is, the more likely you are to actually do it. But how do you make something easier? According to the FOG method, you can consider options for adjusting to the environment, the actor, and the behavior itself. Going back to the exercise example, making your three-minute walk easier could mean doing it at the same time every day or listening to a song by your favorite artist during the walk. Dr. Fogg believes simplicity changes behavior. Step three is to set a trigger. According to Dr. Fogg, no change happens without a trigger. What will prompt the behavior that you're working into your life? Some triggers are natural, but others you need to design to make work for you. You need the trigger because willpower alone just won't cut it. One time I needed to work on my habit of going to bed too late, so I would set an alarm at night, like a bedtime alarm, like the opposite of a wake-up alarm. And it worked really well. That's smart. Yeah. The best way to really get into the Fog Method seems to be by participating in Dr. Fogg's Tiny Habits program. And that's totally free. So if you're serious about getting some new positive habits in your life, feel free to visit tinyhabits.com and take that first tiny step. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today we learned that bee venom therapy may have some power to stop Lyme disease, but it's not a surefire thing. Buyer beware. And that people have been cleaning their teeth for thousands of years, but the first big-time toothbrush salesman didn't show up until an Englishman spent some time in prison. And that you can change your behavior by setting a specific goal, making it easy, and creating a trigger. Tiny changes can lead to big results. A rolling stone gathers no moss. You really want to use that. (laughs) It's just, it's not going to work. It's going to be relevant one of these days. One day. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.